Did you hear something? No. Did I? I don't know. Look what I found. The Simpsons credits theme done by Los Lobos. Sometimes if you just poke around on Spotify during your show, things happen. Listen, it's Simpsons time. Yes, there is always Simpsons time on Nazario Scenario, no matter whether it's a fill-in show, a regular show, or whether you're just speaking to me and I'm not actually doing a show at all. Um, the one that I want to talk about was on TV yesterday. I think it was yesterday. I mean Thursday. Uh, and Maggie Makes Three is the title. Written by Jennifer Crittenden. Episode number 116 uh, occurs in season six. Actually, it's the episode that directly follows Homer the Great. Ah, those were the days when every episode was a gem. And you didn't have to wait for the one good episode in the season. <laughs> or, you know, like the one of the two or three good episodes in the season. Uh, wondering which one it would be. This entire, most, almost the entire episode is told in flashback. It tells the story about uh, how Homer was, you know, what his state of mind was when Marge learned that she was pregnant with Maggie. Uh, so that means that the entire flashback is taking place like a year ago or, you know, whatever, however old Maggie is now. It was like a year and a half ago or so that this all happened, which I think is interesting. It's a flashback, but not a very long ago flashback. Um, very, very, very funny sight gag in the beginning when Homer... Uh, quits his job having finally gotten out of debt and only having two kids so you know his budget is completely balanced and he doesn't need to work for Mr. Burns anymore and so what does he do he uses Mr. Burns as a bongo drum and he's so good at it that the other workers I think it's Lenny who does like hey, who says he's getting a pretty good sound out of that guy and he, uh, yeah, plays bongos on Burns's head in Burns's office and then, like, drives a golf cart around while still doing it. And it is a funny-looking gag that I appreciate. Not being beholden to the power plant anymore, Homer gets to pursue his dream job, which is working at the bowling alley, Barney's Bolarama. A uh, little-known fact, except it's kind of very well-known to Simpsons nerds, I guess. Uh, the business, Barney's Bolarama, was originally conceived as uh, Barney's own thing. Barney was going to own it. Uh, but by the time it showed up in this episode, they had to write a new character 
Barney's uncle, who in fact owned it. Uh, I think he was called Uncle Al. I'm embarrassed that I don't know, but I think it's Al. Notably, Barney's uncle, who owns the bowling alley, is really gross. Like, his shirt that he's wearing in every scene is all covered with, like, green stains. And I thought at first that maybe it was supposed to look like camouflage, and maybe it was, but it did, it was not successful. He really looks like he's got green stains all over his shirt. Uh, Homer's very happy. He puts his head in the shino ballo and uh, his boss doesn't realize it and uh, he's very diligent in his duties he really loves working at the bowling alley and for the first time ever he loves his job and he really loves his life just the way it is and so when Marge has to tell him that she's pregnant with a third baby he's very upset and he doesn't want the baby, which is so sad. But of course, as soon as she is born, uh, she's very cute and he loves her the moment that he sees her. Even though he has to go crawling back, literally, to Mr. Burns to ask for his job back. At the top of the episode, it is present day, and they're looking through the photo albums having been mandated by Marge that they turn the TV off for one hour. <laughs> and Homer, Bart, and Lisa are all really bummed out that they have to do this, but, you know, it is the catalyst for this entire flashback and reminiscence and episode. Uh... And the TV show that they're watching is Night Boat, sparking a very, very funny reading by Dan Castellaneta when he says, Oh, but Marge, it's Night Boat, the crime-solving boat. It's a little bit of a foreshadowing. Uh, telling of Homer's extreme love for police dramas that are stupid. This is a little bit before Police Cops airs in a later episode. Delighting Homer after just, you know, whatever. 15 minutes of it, even before he realizes that the main character's name is Homer Simpson. But that's a different episode that I won't talk about anymore. It's really beautifully done. Uh, Patty and Selma calling Aronson and Zakowski <laughs> in order to spread the word about Marge being pregnant is very funny as well. Uh, shots from inside Patty and Selma's bachelorette apartment, you know, with like the camel lamp and stuff are always funny. And... Jennifer Crittenden, the writer, is brilliant, and I also hate her because at the end of that episode, she's able to just make me cry. <laughs> and it's always awkward and embarrassing when you have to cry at the end of a Simpsons. We learn that uh, at Homer's 
job back at the power plant. His workstation is the place where he has hung all of the pictures of Maggie, and that's why there aren't any in the photo album. And the legend, don't forget you're here forever, is covered up, and it instead reads, do it for her. Damn you, Simpsons writer, for being so clever and so sweet at the same time. Also, Acid Rain dissolves Homer's beautiful final going away present, which is a bowling jacket. And it's symbolic. Thank you for listening to Simpsons Time. Simpsons time. I am delighted to present now, this week, a special, slightly longer edition of Simpsons time through the debigulator. So it's not over yet. Stay tuned and uh, see what you think, or uh, see uh, what you think. Welcome, Simpsons Time Through the Debigulator listeners, to the first of hopefully many auxiliary Simpsons Time Through the Debigulator conversations that I will be having with friends of mine who, it may come as a shock to you, I have a lot of these, also love The Simpsons. Today I have with me distinguished radio personality and music writer and cool guy, Gaylord Fields. How bye, Frabens. How bye, Amanda. How bye, Gabe That was wonderful. <laughs> oh man! So uh, we have gathered together today to talk uh, a little bit more about the episode Homer at the Bat. Now that baseball season is even more in full swing, uh, pun intended, um, and. I don't know, just when I did a Simpsons time recently for Homer at the Bat, I feel like I gave it a little bit of short shrift, uh, and I had so much more to say about it. So uh, I brought in maybe the biggest baseball fan I'm friends with wow. to, to comment a little bit more on it. <laughs> you know a few baseball fans. I know quite a few. I mean, yeah. maybe you're not the biggest, no. but you... Uh, have a combo of baseball knowledge and Simpsons knowledge uh, that I find uh, A-plus appealing. And um, I don't know. I, I know that you have said that you like Simpsons time, so that's, why, that's another reason why. I do. I like Simpsons time, but I did not listen to your Homer at the Bat Simpsons time. That's okay. That's okay. That's fine. I'm okay with that. Um, Homer at the Bat is... Very, very noteworthy for being the first uh, all-star uh, guest featured show. You know, there the, before this, there had not been one like this that had many, many guest stars that were all very famous. But what was interesting about this one is, as 
opposed to how it's been done later is that, I mean, they're important to the plot. They're, it's not just, oh, we Celebrity X wants to be on the show. No, these athletes were actually recruited because they service the plot. Yes, that's true. That's true. Do you know anything about the recruiting process? I know just a little bit. No, not really. Um, I'm guessing they just went down a list and of famous ball players and whoever said yes and could also speak, you know, and be recorded. Right. Yeah. Which is why I guess there weren't a lot of like Latino players. I mean, other than like Cuban American Jose Canseco. That's right. Uh, I think they might have just gone down the list of who was the most famous. Um, and they also wanted to have like diverse representation across different teams. Right. Um, and so, yeah, otherwise it would be all Dodgers and Angels. And I know that it was Sam Simon who really pushed for this to happen, you know, that he didn't want just one uh, ringer on Burns's team. He right. wanted nine ringers. He didn't want just two or three. He wanted it to be an entire softball team full of baseball players. Um, and as I understand it, most of the choices that they wanted said yes. Like there were two or three, and they nobody says who would like which ones it was, uh, who were like second choices. Um, and yeah, so and I just I can't say enough like how much I enjoy everyone's performance you know like how game they all are yeah it's it's really fantastic when you see like when I see how Daryl Strawberry is depicted I just like him more than I already like him absolutely <laughs> yes I missed a chance to uh play Daryl Strawberry's song at the end of my Simpsons time so maybe <laughs> at the end of this I'll we'll sing it well, yeah maybe we can sing it my name well, is Daryl I'm a happen. baseball player that's like ain't it, gonna happen it's really good though <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I, I think maybe he's my favorite character um but, you know, all the other ones are pretty convincing. Roger Clemens said yes to the script where he had to impersonate a chicken, and he did it, like, yeah. pretty well. Yeah, because I, I, <laughs> I was wondering if they got, like, Hank Azaria to do the chicken or if Roger Clemens was actually clucking. No, that was him. Wow, that good was for him. him. doing the chicken, yeah. Wow. No, he's a Texas boy, so I'm sure, sure he's familiar with a chicken he's or two. See, yeah, he's seen a chicken before. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's. I feel like the other... Ones like this where lots of famous people appear uh, are just not quite as good because they're not as zany uh, or they are a little too nice to the famous person. Like you get this, the sense that maybe the famous person negotiated for it to be uh, to err on the side of them being really heroic or really cool. Um, I'm thinking mostly of... Krusty gets canceled when, like, Bette Midler was cleaning up the highways and uh, Liz Taylor was just polishing her jewels all day long. Well, and, I think yeah. part of it is that the difference between sort of performers as celebrities and athletes as celebrities is that if you have a performer like uh, Bette Midler or, or a Liz Taylor, they have public personas. We know how they're supposed to be. We know either how they present themselves or how the tabloids present them. That's we, right. With athletes, we know them, we know their names, we know what we can do, but we don't really know what Mike Socha's personality is like at all. That's right. So they're these wonderful blank slates 
that you can just overlay something on and there's no, there is no contrast. There's nothing to say, oh, well, that's not like Mike Sosha at all. He would never be the kind of person who would spill some nuclear waste and just blithely walk away from it. <laughs> And I can imagine a lot of kids, you know, a lot of people for whom a Mike Sosha is like their hero, you know, watching The Simpsons and being like, oh, wow, he's he's a really nice guy that he likes to work at the power plant and he's yeah. the only one, you know. Yeah. And Ken Griffey Jr., God, he's got to really watch it with a nerve tonic. You know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, these are not, I mean, all the depictions were just, you know, made up out of whole cloth. They were not. None of them took anything known about the athlete and either blew it up or turned it on its head. They just made up personalities for them, yes. which I think is the key to why this was a very, very successful use of, of celebrities. Do you remember when it was first on watching it? Oh, yes. Yeah. Because when I, I, I watched it the first time it was on and I watched it today. Right. And I was waiting for my favorite joke and... It came, I laughed again. Which it was? was when 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 Burns first comes up with the idea of the ringers and he has his old oldie timey baseball players. And of course it sets up one of the I think it's one of the earlier Mr. Burns is out of touch with modern times jokes. Yes. I mean, before that he was just this sort of tyrant and but he wasn't really, really strongly depicted as the kind of guy who would say he smelt of beer and pretzel bread. Yes. One of my other, you know, which, <laughs> which kind of, they kind of ran into the ground in later Simpsons where it's like, let's just make up fake, you know, anachronistic sayings for Mr. Burns. But with this one, it was just handled so well. When Smithers points out that, that all his, his favorite baseball players are long dead, Burns' solution was, you know, let's scour the leagues for some modern players. Let's, you know, let's, Go to the National League, the American League, the Negro League. And that <laughs> joke just killed me when I first heard right. it. Because How it was, out of touch is he? Yes, <laughs> exactly. Out of touch in a really wonderfully racist way, yes. too. Which is just, it was a perfect encapsulation of his not really getting what's going on. Right. That and, he really still thinks segregation is part of baseball. Right, and it's, it's a, part of, like... The world we live in, yeah, yeah. it's it's <laughs> very it's very very deftly done. I really love that joke yeah. too, um, and yeah, I mean, of course, somebody like Burns <laughs> would think absolutely nothing of there being a Negro League. Yeah, in and, 1992. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I mean, no, they they folded in 1986. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I mean. What else is it about this episode? It's it's very wacky, you know, in in a way that we haven't really seen before in The Simpsons. You know, all of these crazy things that happen to the ballplayers uh, are n not just very cruel, as I mentioned before, but wacky. You know, like the the gigantism of Ken Griffey Jr. is like probably or, the or, most extreme. Yeah, it's Roger Clemens being hypnotized and thinking he's a chicken. Right. Ozzie Smith going into the vortex and being lost forever. Yes. <laughs> like, and, and, I, you, and I actually respected the fact that they spared a couple of them. Like, the, like Daryl Strawberry actually got to play in the game and he got lifted for some totally capricious overmanaging of Mr. Burns. Right. He's the only one who really got to play the game. Yeah. And he hit nine home runs and he's absolutely undoubtedly the reason why 
their team won, but even so he was pulled out and Homer had to pinch hit for him. Um, yeah. And I really, uh, yeah, I like that, that strawberry was spared, um, because there has to be one exception, right? Yeah. And that is a, like a big, uh, sort of, um, kicking Homer when he's down device too, because everyone else like Lenny and Carl and Charlie get yeah. to play the game eventually. Um, and Homer's the only person who doesn't get to play uh, until that last moment. So uh, if I can digress, I want to talk about Charlie. Oh, let's talk about Charlie. I, I love Charlie. really want to talk about Charlie <laughs> because Charlie is a kind of character you would see in early seasons that you would never see later. Just a person who's just a cast as an extra. Yes. <laughs> and they and there was a not a tendency but a preponderance of if you introduce a character and it's a character with a speaking role it has to be a wacky character yeah charlie is not a wacky character yeah he's just he, a guy yeah he's, <laughs> he's he's a guy he's charlie <laughs> i mean lenny and carl are normal yeah charlie is even more normal yeah. than lenny and carl yeah and uh i i always think of him as the power plant version of that guy who hangs out in moe's uh who has the trucker hat right what's that guy's name i don't know i don't know either i need to find out but i will find out um yeah i and i i presume charlie has a slightly better job because he wears a lab coat at, at the power plant that's right yes and he's not really given wacky traits and and i and just and that fascinated me the idea that you could actually have a character like charlie back in those days and there was an expectation of so what's wrong with him you know what's it what's his damage yeah because whenever you see a simpsons character in even in the, the very classic season, a, a character is introduced and given lines, you think what's his or her damage. Yes. And, yeah, it's not the case for him. Yeah. He was actually dispensed with in the uh, Mindy Simmons episode. He was the one who was sucked through a tube and, you know, ended up on a table with men, like, clapping and saying, dance, dance, dance. And I think after that was when we stopped seeing him. <laughs> like... well, well, it was a great reunion with an old friend I forgot I even had. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, we can assume that Homer wasn't the only good player on Burns' softball team. Yeah, I'm, yeah, Charlie seemed adequate. Yeah, he was. Yeah. I'm sure Carl and Lenny could hold their own and and a few other people we really didn't get to know and never will know um i guess i can segue into the split between the beginning and the end of homer at the bat there's like this relatively normal story in the beginning with wonder bat being carved in a flashback and then uh it bringing homer success and the montage of them playing and yeah i guess you had to because in typical baseball stories like this, the hero has to be incompetent. Yes. So by introducing that sort of nod to the natural, they had to come up with an ex excuse for Homer being good enough to get them to the point where they would have, where they would vie for the championship. Right. So I, I thought that was a really smart way in which to just say, yeah, Homer, why wouldn't he be an adequate baseball player or at least hitter? Right. Instead of, oh, he's incompetent at everything. I mean, even Fred Flintstone was a good bowler. <laughs> <laughs> and Homer is a good bowler. I was going to say, yeah. and that's not coincidence. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's. I feel like back in seasons sort of three and four, that was the last we see for a really long time of Homer um, being good at anything and it not being a total surprise. Yeah. Um, I think it's notable that, you know, he not only succeeds with the bat, but he made the bat himself, you know, yeah. and there's kind of no uh, reference to that being amazing. You know, he just sort of is handy and he can yeah, he I, can carve something, which is kind of good. I know. know. It's sort of set up because they show his early attempt at making a, a football and it's totally <laughs> yeah. in, in bad Homer style. Right. But he did a pretty decent job on, on Wonder Bat. Right. Until it, Roger Clemens... <laughs> Destroyed it <laughs> destroyed with one pitch. It, right. I really love that piece of animation <laughs> where it's just like. <laughs> um, who is your? Is Daryl Strawberry your favorite? Oh, absolutely! Yeah. I mean, he's a favorite baseball player, IRL, as the kids say. Yes. And the, I'll look that yeah. up later. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I, he's my. It's a favorite. subway. It's a New York subway line. <laughs> Used to be. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, you can't fool a couple of New Yorkers like us. Oh, uh, yay! <laughs> Stay tuned. For, I mean, not stay tuned, but uh, yeah. sometime down the line, we will talk about growing up in New York. Yeah. And that Maybe we should do The Simpsons versus New York as New Yorkers. Yeah, good idea. <gasps> Homer versus what's the. Yeah. It's, yeah, Homer. the city of New York, New York versus, versus Homer, Homer Simpson. Simpson. We can yeah. do that one. Yeah. Fantastic yeah. idea. Um, yeah, he Daryl is my favorite too because I just think he turns out to be a funny actor. You know, he's. Uh, he really has that great um, suck-upness to Mr. Burns. He's, like, the only one who really, li like, loves right. Mr. He, Burns. Yeah, he starts smithering uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Mr. Burns so well. Right. Um, and uh, I really – I've said this before, but my favorite part is when he – in a sort of world-weary, jaded way, tells Homer that he's better than him. Yes. So that exchange yeah. is so great. Yeah, saying the thing that doesn't need to be said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Except for our you know, comedic benefit. Yes. Um, apparently, he never knew in, uh, when he came to the record uh, about the part where he's crying, you know, the Daryl. Right, because he, he didn't have to. Because there's no lines no, required no. for that. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I I think it was a sly move by them because if he had seen that, he might have objected to it. Um, I, I would hope that he wouldn't. Uh, but I'm really glad that it's in there because it's just, it's like a five-star moment for me. I, I was really pleasantly surprised with how good most of the line readings of the of the ball players were. Yes, me too. You know, I mean, there were one or two really kind of flat readings. Oh, so you can't say go. But <laughs> but you know, like Wade Boggs was great in the bar Wade fight. Boggs was amazing. He was yeah. so good in the bar fight. So good. He was really great. Um yeah. I thought Steve Sachs was great even though his scene and like his event that prevents him from playing the game is my least favorite. Be I mean, not because it's badly written, but just because it's so Because bad. it's kind of violent? Well, it's <laughs> because so, he has yeah. a gun pulled on him yes. by Lou and Eddie? Yes, Lou and Eddie. <laughs> yeah, it's Lou who like points the gun through his car window. Yeah. Um, and, you know, both of them are being so mean to him. Uh, in a like a, I mean, we know that, yeah. The police force in Springfield is incompetent, yeah. but you've never really seen them be that brutal before. But yeah, but and but the, and, <laughs> like, but they were and it was really good because they were speaking in like classic cop tropes too, TV cop tropes. Yeah, yeah. 
which I think is what made it not as cringy for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's really? Like, oh, for, yeah, yeah, oh, for yeah, me, it's so yeah, cringy. Yeah. For me, it's like, oh, they're they're playing badass cop. Oh, I get it. And they, <laughs> they've got themselves a sucker, so. Oh, wait. How about the uh, when, before the ringers come on, when uh, the power plant are playing the the police softball team yes. and everyone fires their guns into Oh, yes. <laughs> I love that moment, too. Even though Clancy Wiggum is the one who's like, cut it out, boys. Like, yeah. today he would never do that. Exactly. Like, the, the, but I like, yeah, I like the, yeah, the Wiggum who tries to be a good police chief. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it, it's, yeah. But remember, that was the same scene where he turned off the, the police scanner while they were announcing horrible crimes going on because it was distracting. <laughs> That's true. So he was, he was wigaming all the way. That is very he true. Just, good it's just point. good to know that he has a line. Uh, let's see. Who else? Uh, Wade Boggs really was great, and I thought that that was just a very inspired yeah. move to have him. <sighs> yeah. Really, in every case, it is Springfield that brings these people low. You know, like they are so happy to do this weird favor for <laughs> yes. Mr. Burns <laughs> and their celebrities in Springfield as they are everywhere. Yeah. Um, but you know, just a couple days in Springfield makes them into, you know, just sort of like it, a yeah. couple of them are about to die. Uh, yeah. Like one of yes. them. Yes, Don Mattingly has a horrible, horrible self inflicted haircut. Yes. It's, it, he gets off the best, maybe, because it will grow back. But, yeah. But um, yeah, but Sosha and his uh, radiation poisoning, he, I'm guessing he pulls through, right? Right, Amanda? Uh, Yes. Okay, good. Yes, uh, and he yeah. go, goes to live on a farm upstate. Oh, yay. <laughs> yay. That always happens. Um, yeah, I just... It, if I think of it that way, it makes it all the funnier, you know, because it's it's like these big, strong men are invincible until they get to Springfield, and then... Yeah. Um, let's see. Canseco oh, um, uh, is forever a villain in... The Simps in the world of people who love Simpsons because he had to have his part rewritten. He was the only one that. Oh, so his, so basically, you mean the scene where he's being heroic and saving the woman and the cat and the washer dryer? That that was written at the last minute because because yeah. he wanted something heroic. Because he didn't like what they had for him before, which was what was it? Uh, he, it was a Bull Durham ripoff where he was in bed with Mrs. Krabappel. And, uh, you know, she sort of seduces him into being late for the game or something like that. Oh. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, he was, like, not into that. Oh. I mean, that's kind of understandable in a way. It's like, I mean, I'm guessing, was he married at the time? He was married. Okay. Yeah. I think yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's, I feel like it's unfortunate because, I mean, even though it definitely skirts the line maybe goes over the line i'm sure the reason why i was in there was because it was tremendously funny yeah um yeah and also a, i a, wish a, i could have seen it yeah another baseball reference and that brings the question that i i want to ask you amanda now my watching this game it's a it, watching the show i call it a game that's how <laughs> into it i am yeah i was so happy when springfield won the softball game <laughs> my god i had, I had it was an exciting one yeah man. yeah 43 43 it was right yeah. the well, then 44-43. And I'm not going to quibble with the fact that Homer actually didn't make it the first base, so the run shouldn't have counted. But that's 
I'm guessing like sounded like like you quibbled a little bit. Yeah, I I quibbled (laughs) a lot. I I I actually just walked out on the you know worst sports related Simpsons episode ever. I said (laughs) (laughs) till the next one. But yeah, um, now here's my question to you, not big sports fan. For me, it was an absolute treat. This thing was like just a seven-layer cake of wonderfulness being the Simpsons baseball fan. I'm just wondering how non-sports fans enjoyed it. Was there enough for them? I. It took me a while to get to the point of really appreciating this episode as I do. Uh, when it was first on... I, of course, loved every Simpsons that was on, so I loved it, but uh, it was not one of the ones that I came back to again and again once I had them on tape and DVD and stuff Um, because I didn't have as, like, warm, gooey, fond associations with it as I did with other ones in season three. Um, But once I bit the bullet and did go back and and watched it I'd like it really really stood up and I think maybe even more now that all of those guys have retired and are in the hall of fame and you know they as athletes and as public figures have been elevated so much just by virtue of being in the public eye for longer. Actually, a few of them have not been elevated well, post-steroids. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> At least two people of the nine have uh, had their reputations tarnished post uh, Homer at the bat. But that also, like, that newsworthiness, you know, has uh, given them, you know, more of a legend and, you know, made them more famous or infamous than they were before. Um, So, yeah, I mean, just to to know who they are and who they became and uh, and then look back on them at the sort of height of their popularity is great you know like I, I really enjoy that um, because yeah I mean I'm really not as concerned when I watch sports with uh, the way the game is played as I am with the people involved like that's sort of why I get into any sports game that I'm watching it's just like oh well he has a beard I wonder why you know like in the, <laughs> <laughs> like oh that's the guy that got the whatever that's the, one with, yeah, that's the one with the hippie hair. Yes, right. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so... That's the one who's the religious guy who is uh, homophobic. Yay! Yeah, right. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's and, and I really have a lot of fun watching sports, thinking of it that way. Um, as I'm sure you do, too. You know, it's just an extra yeah. uh, dimension for you. Which, again, I think goes back to what I was saying about it's really good that they that all the ball players had personalities invented for them because that that way you can make good personalities that non sports fans can relate to yes that's true rather than using in, you know to sort of inside inside baseball, baseball. <laughs> i was trying not to say inside baseball about inside baseball yes i wonder if that was something that they consciously thought of i'm sure it was yeah um yeah Otherwise, it would be, you know, basically nine kind of not-so-good people. Right. <laughs> Maybe not. I'm sure Ken Griffey Jr. is really nice. <laughs> Ozzie Smith is very nice. He's, he's lovely, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I actually don't know any of these people personally. So. 
But yeah, again, with the lore, you know, he's yeah. known to be nice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Have we said enough? Is there anything else that you well, can think to say? Uh, the, the other thing that came to mind was, was, the, was this was a really strong one-plot episode. And I... I, I had asked you off off camera off camera. <laughs> Look at how I, I dressed for TV, and now I'm finding out this is some kind of podcast. <laughs> but I'll do a drawing of you. Yeah, as okay. You live here now. All right, <laughs> and is that this was a really really good example of a one plot episode that that sustained where you weren't feeling a need to go to a B story and. That's right. Yeah, yeah, there's absolutely no hint of a B story because there's there would be zero room for it. I mean, what would you? It's almost like there are nine little B stories yeah. uh, of you know what terrible thing happens to each player. Um, but no, I mean, all of it is in service to the one big deal story of are they going to make the championships or not? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it, you raised that really great question. Um, was season three the last great season for those kinds of stories that were just all, like the entire episode is taken up by the one story? And I don't really know the answer to that. Yeah. All I know is by, say, season seven, season you know six, seven, and eight, and that and along, and then on, it was almost entirely a you know a story b story sometimes c stories right unless they did uh you know a total diversions along the lines of you know 22 short films short yeah. films or or um behind the laughter or, or right things like that or those yeah. like triptych ones yeah like the like the like the um spinoff showcase or, yes right um there was that new ep- this is not simpsons but okay. it's, Sim- it's no, related to the point it's fine I there was that recent reboot of the Odd Couple that was on maybe a year or two ago. I don't remember, but uh-huh, uh-huh. and I I just I one day I was home on a Friday and I thought I'd watch it to see how they bollocked it up, and it was it was um, the plot was one from an older episode where Felix Felix and Oscar have a, a contest ten like an athletic contest where they're they they, were, they choose ten events and they vie against each other mm-hmm. it was the same plot identical except there was a point in the episode in the new version where they cut over to a b story of characters i've never seen before don't care about at a bar doing stuff and it was like why are you doing this Get me back to Felix and Oscar. Right. That's, it's th- not the odd couple and their wacky friends. The roadmap is already there. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was like, God, is, is television really enslaved to this kind of plotting where you just don't trust to have one story all the way through that they would just interrupt something that was already done to perfection to ruin it with another story? It would be as if there was a Simpsons episode and at the eight minute point, they cut away to some business with Kent Brockman yeah, right. and 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 his assistant, you know, you know, producer. It was like, why, why? Don't very do a bad. B story because you have to do a B story. It's very bad. <laughs> and but see, I think that some of the best Simpsons B stories are like perfectly weaved in, woven in. Uh, weft to... <laughs> is the word. <laughs> weft They're perfectly in. weft. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, I, there are there are some that are shoehorned in, and even those are quite good. Like Mr. Sparkle, for example, is probably the best. Like, are you kidding? That's the B story that should have been the A story. Should have been the A story, right? I mean, yeah. even though I do like the um the the Lovejoy thing, it's yeah, it, that's one that could have swapped. Yes, because I when I think of that episode, I think of it, it's the Mr. Sparkle episode. I agree, and it, and there's also the other one that I really really love is in Lisa gets an A, the Mr. Pinchy. B story. Yeah. Uh, it's completely wacky and weird, uh, but the way it's introduced is perfect because they meet Mr. Pinchy in the same supermarket where Lisa gets a cold because she's been um, put into the freezer to get the ice cream exactly. and her getting a cold results in her missing school and, you know, all yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I guess uh, I, they can't all be Seinfeld where you have an A story and a B story and then you crash them into each other <laughs> That's right, yeah. for some amazing denouement. Maybe the topic of our next conversation uh, before people of New York versus Homer Simpson can be which Simpsons are most like Seinfeld. Oh, where they, <laughs> where they integrate the A's and B stories and... and or just in general, like which wow. are the most, you know, sort yeah. of show about nothing kind yeah. of ones. Which the, the the quieter Simpsons are ones yeah. that I always really oh like. I like that yeah. Simpsons as Seinfeld. That's another good topic. Yeah. And I guess we should wrap this up. But last thing, is that the one and only appearance of the Greek tycoon guy? It isn't. He was in one other show. I can't remember which one. Not Dancing Homer. Uh, he's the owner of the Shelbyville plant. Exactly. Uh, he's based on Aristotle Onassis, I guess. Yeah, they call him, I mean, he's, he's called, called Aristotle. Ari, Ari at some yeah. point, yes. Um, but the first time he, uh, I think this is his second and final appearance, um, but the first appearance his voice was done by John Lovitz, and this mm. time it was done by Dan Castellaneta. So. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yay. Homework for all of you listeners out there. Let us know which episode Aristotle Amadopoulos first appeared in. Thank you, Gaylord. This has been wonderful. And now I feel very uh, like our treatment of Homer at the Bat is complete. Yeah, I think we hit a home run with this episode, Amanda. That is a wonderful metaphor. You think? Yes. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, I look forward to talking to you more in the future about Simpson. Well, thank you for having me, Amanda. Um, now uh, you can cut the cameras. Okay. My name is Daryl, but you can call me D.
Thank you so much for listening to Simpsons Time Through the Debigulator, this deluxe edition thereof. Thank you to Gaylord Fields for participating. And uh, I'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>